Father, we just thank you so much, and I just continue that prayer that Mandy just prayed, and as she she was speaking and praying, I I, I just had a vision of your arms reaching down and just hugging everyone that's watching and, and hugging everyone that's here tonight that really needs a touch from you. Uh, some of us have had a really hard week. Some of us uh, uh, just have really had some big-time struggles, and, and we were looking for hope. And lo and behold, here we are, a place where hope can be found, all because of you. So, Father, would you keep your arms extended tonight? And with the words of, uh, that come out of my mouth, the uh, meditation of my heart, be acceptable and pleasing to you, and would you hide me behind the cross so that only you could be seen and heard, and would you watch over your word to perform over it, make sure it doesn't come back void, and would you bless everyone tonight and encourage everyone tonight so that they can live this stuff out with unspeakable joy, passion, and purpose, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Encounter. We're going to continue on in our series. Last week, we, we went through all the 12 anchors of hope in one night. Uh, that's because we can do it, and we're crazy. Uh, but tonight we're going to camp out on anchor six. Uh, and, and, and so uh, tonight we're going to talk about how change equals discipleship. And uh, anchor six, if we can get it up on the screen, it says this. Uh, Allow God to make the transformation changes he wants to make. Everybody say He. And everybody say, not me. Make the transformation changes he wants to make and stop trying to make them on my own. Now, guys, listen to me very carefully. Girls, too. Uh, Guys and girls. Transformation is another word for discipleship. That's all that is. You hear a lot of words that sometimes are scary, that mess with you or intimidate you. Or sometimes get you mad. You hear words like sanctification. What is that? Okay? It's another word for discipleship. Okay? Loving Jesus. Another concept for discipleship. These are all discipleship terms. You see, disciples are constantly being changed. They're constantly, as Peter says, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the two. Grace and and knowledge. See, grace opens up the door for truth. It always does. And, and Peter says, we're to grow in the grace, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, said, I want all men to come to faith, but also come to the truth about the knowledge of God. So what Paul is saying there, he goes, I just don't want you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to come to the knowledge of the truth that comes after that as well too. And we're going to be talking about this tonight. Now there is a word that is strategically put in anchor six that makes this one of the most difficult anchors and biblical concepts that many of us can never get past. That's the word change. Just as I said the word change, you got nervous. You got mad. Because we're habits of creatures. We're, we're, we're creatures of habit. And just hearing the word change, you know, just makes you <laughs> cringe, right? You just don't like that word. 
And other than not liking change, many of us really struggle with experiencing positive and godly changes in our lives. Have you ever wondered why that is? It's a million-dollar question. That's why I'm here at Encounter. Why is it so hard to change? Well, I can be here for 10 hours telling you that, but I'm just going to give you a few simple, and these are probably some of the biggest reasons why it's so hard to change. One of the reasons why it's hard to change is because we've had our defects for a very long time. It took you a long time to get as messed up as you are. It really did. You've been perfecting them all your life. You've been nursing them, feeding them all your life. You get comfortable with them. And without realizing it, you subconsciously feed them when you're not allowing God to change you into who he wants you to be. Because it's all you know to do, it's all you know how to do, it's all you know how to be, and you've been training yourself to be like that all your life. Another reason why it's hard to change is because we've identified ourselves with our defects for so long, right? Well, it's just like me to be like that. It's just like me to be afraid when I get on a plane. I'm afraid to fly. I'm afraid. Guess what's going to happen if you get on a plane? You're going to be afraid when you get on that plane, okay? Uh, I am now. I don't want to get on a window seat at Southwest. (laughs) They had a second window blow out the other day. Uh, So I'm getting in the aisle seat now. Okay, but we have identified ourselves with our defects for a long time. I'm lazy. I'm an addict. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm codependent. I'm an addict. We've identified ourselves with what we do, but God reminds us that we're not our sins. We're not our defects. It may be something we do, but it's not who we are. You are not your sins. You are not what you do. You are not your habits. They're simply things that you do But all your life, you've been identifying yourself. I'm a victim. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a victim. Another reason why it's hard to change, we've got to move, we've got a lot to cover tonight, is that my defects, your defects, have a payoff. There's a reward, if you're filling in the blanks, there's a reward, ding, 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 for everything that you do. People... Don't do things. You won't do things unless it's rewarded. Whatever is rewarded, friends, gets repeated. If you're doing something that you know isn't good for you, or it's self-destructive, or it's ruining your relationship, it's ruining your marriage, it's destroying your finances, it's destroying your body, it's because there's some kind of payoff. Maybe it's an emotional payoff. Maybe it's a relational payoff a physical payoff, but there's always a payoff. And maybe you don't see it, but we don't do things unless, unless they're rewarded. That's true in every area of life. And I don't know what the payoff is for you for the defects you have in your life. Maybe it's to mask your pain. Maybe it's how you've coped since a little kid just to survive, but you're still trying to cope that way. Maybe it's to cover up a fear. Maybe it's to give you an excuse to fail. Maybe it's to compensate for your guilt. Maybe it's to get back at somebody. Maybe a former spouse, a parent. I don't really know. Maybe it's just giving you attention because you never got attention when you were younger. And even though it's negative attention, you'll create a scene just because it's attention. Because you're starving for that attention. 
I don't know. But there has to be a payoff, and you won't do it unless there's a payoff. And that's why it's hard to change, even the stuff we don't like about ourselves, because realistically, most of the time, we don't even know why we do it, because we've been feeding it and rewarding ourselves with the payoff for years. Now, there's a fourth reason and why it's hard to change, and this is a big one, and that's because Satan discourages me. Satan discourages me. He wants you to stay stuck in your stuckness. He wants you to constantly keep you in a spin cycle of insanity. He wants you to maybe move forward and then, bam, have a major setback. And always have those setbacks. And always have those setbacks. He wants you to stay stuck all the time. And the way he does that is right there. There's the front door. Right there. And he's, he's putting negative thoughts in your head all the time. He's constantly doing this to you. Once you start working on something positive and good in your life that you want to change, it won't be long before you start hearing these words. Who do you think you are? You're never going to change. You've never been able to change in the past. Loser. You think you're going to be able to change now? What do you think you're doing? You can't change. You've tried this. You've made all these promises for years. You've never been able to do it. You can't. You won't. It's hopeless. You're hopeless. It's not going to work. Anybody, am I crazy? Anybody else heard this before? And then it starts working. Then all of a sudden, you're fighting those voices, right? You say, no, 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 no. And then you start making some changes. And then you hear this. Ah, it's not going to work very long. Enjoy it now while you can. While you can. This will probably last a week. This will probably last a month. Wait till Monday. You might as well just give up now because it's all going to come tumbling down soon anyway. And if the lies don't work, and he's got a list of lies, thousands and thousands and thousands of lies that he throws at the doorpost of your mind every single day. If, he, if the lies don't work, then he goes into plan B. Then he'll throw a little fear your way. All of a sudden, boom, you're fearful. What am I fearful for? He starts throwing fear at you. And if any of that fear starts taking root, well, then he starts throwing fear's cousins at you. Anxiety, stress, nervousness, even physical sickness, all designed to just shake the foundation of your hope and make you give up trying to make any and all positive changes in your life, all designed so that one day, Sooner than later, you'll throw in the towel and give up, just like you did before. That's how Satan works. Where do you think those fears are coming from? They're being planted in your mind. Always, those are pretensions. Those are lies that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. But we're learning through these anchors that we're to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, if you've been working the first five anchors up to this point. If you're in an encounter study, you know all this stuff. If you've been coming to this ministry for a while, you know all this stuff. And if you've been working those first five anchors, you've stopped playing God, 
by trying to change on your own. Hope has been, hope has been restored because God didn't give you a spirit of fear but love, power, and a sound mind. Hope has been restored and you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Not only to Jesus Christ, but you surrendered your life to the finished work of Christ. You now believe that I am who I am because the great I am said I am, Dr. Seuss, right? And why is that? Because a real transaction took place and you have a new identity in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone, the new has come, and all this is from God. God makes you new, gives you a new identity. You're now secure, accepted, significant. You know who you are in Christ. You're not what you do. You're exactly who God calls you to be. And then by applying Anchor 5, you let the Holy Spirit take you on a reflective journey connecting the dots of your past so that you now know all your character defects, all your habits that you have and why up to this point you have struggled with them. And on top of that, by applying Anchor 5 to your life, you've allowed God to wipe out your shame, your guilt, your regrets, the pain of your past, because your past is now your past. That's the work that you've done leading up to Anchor 6, because it's all about changing. Again, these anchors set you up so that you can now grow. That's another word for discipleship. Discipleship means you grow. It's all about changing. Discipleship will do that for you. So again, tonight's talk is change equals discipleship. But no matter where you are on this pathway of discipleship and becoming more like Jesus, I need to say a few things about you because even as I was speaking about that fourth one, that Satan discourages you, the moment I started speaking about change, the moment I started speaking about discipleship, about becoming more like Jesus and growing, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Many of you have already checked out because you've already, you're already discouraged. You're already beat up by your past failures. And I just want to say a couple of things to you tonight. You have to know this. You have to know that God is for you and not against you. You need to know this. You need to know that God loves you. Listen to me very carefully. God loves you, every single one of you, at every stage of your growth. That no matter where you are today in this spectrum of growing and following Jesus, God loves you. Even you, Myra, God loves you. For every milestone, for every level, for every victory, for every setback, for every broken promise you've ever made to God, for every relapse and moral spiritual failure that you've ever experienced in your life, God could not love you any more than he does right now. God could not love you any more in your growth, and he could not love you any less in your failures. I want to just say this. Welcome to the greatest day of your life because it's the day where God has loved you the most. That is today. It's the greatest day that God has made because it's the day that he made that he never promised you. But it's a gift to us so that we can understand 
and really believe and accept finally, maybe for the first time, that God is for us, not against us, and nothing, nothing that you'll ever do, nothing that will ever be done to you can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can we just thank God for just loving us that way in just, just a thousand ways like that? I mean, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm just grateful for his love tonight. So I just want to say this. Don't let fear, don't let doubt, don't let unbelief, and don't let the mistakes and the failures of your past keep you from being discipled. Discipleship is big. Don't let a lack of confidence keep you from all you can be by learning about Jesus and all of his teachings. Listen, it's God's job to teach you, and it's God's job to change you. You can't teach yourself to be discipled. The Holy Spirit leads, guides, explains the truth of God that transforms and changes you into a disciple. But God uses disciples to make disciples. That's the goal of why God wants to make you a disciple. You know, I guess I've always been discipling people for a long, long time. Even before I, I got saved, uh, I guess I've been discipling people. As you know, I've, done, I've been a trick of all trades before I got into ministry and before I got saved. And I think I told some of you the story, but I used to have the first, I had and ran the first golf store in Wall Street. It was in the business district of New York City, right around the corner from Wall Street, and I used to give lessons there. And, uh, and I remember giving a lesson to a, a high-end uh, executive from Japan. He was like one of the top executives at Sony. Came in for, I used to give golf lessons. I had a video camera with a mat. I used to take people's swings. And so this guy comes in here, and I just give him a lesson, and, and uh, I just show him a couple things with a golf club. There it is. Boom. See that? I can't even handle a golf club. But I just show him how to hold the golf club like this, and he holds it the right way, and makes a couple of adjustments, and his, 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 his game and his swing is, you know, just like a million bucks. He's just on his way, and he's just, boom. He's just, he's just playing great golf. And he calls the store about a few weeks later, and, uh, and he says, I'd like to make an appointment with Mr. Risa. Calls on the phone. And the person I worked with answered the phone and says, well, well sir, who, who are you? And the guy said these words. He said, it's a terrible Japanese accent, but he, he said this. He said, I am a disciple of Mr. Risa. He wasn't a student. He said he was a disciple of Mr. Risa. A disciple of Mr. Risa. I just laughed about it. I've been laughing about that for years. Everyone in the store laughed, says, one of your disciples called today and said, while I wouldn't consider what I was doing as discipleship, it was to that man. Now, why was it discipleship to that gentleman? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to change. And he was willing to do whatever I told him to do, to experience that. There was no hesitation on that man's part to obey what I was teaching him in those lessons. And because of his willingness to go all in with what I was teaching, he changed the swing. And he started playing better golf. And so I guess I do consider him a great disciple. And so I would get all sorts of people coming to that store. 
And so I, I would give lessons to anyone and everyone. I had this couple come in, and I knew I was in trouble right away because the guy's, guy's name was Bernie, and he wanted lessons for him and his wife. His name was Susan. He goes, my name is Bernie and Susan Geek, okay? And uh, this guy was just a character and a half. I don't know if you, you know, on the West Coast, you don't use the word slob. It's an East Coast term. He was a slob. And he was just, he was just one of those guys. And he says, why don't you, you know, my wife Susan, she's never played golf before. And, uh, and so Susan, so I started with Susan first. And so Susan comes into the store. I'd never met Susan before. And Susan walks into the store, very petite woman. And uh, she had a derby hat on, tomorrow's Kentucky Derby. I think tomorrow's the derby in Kentucky. She had this huge hat on, uh, probably half the size of Carmelia, okay? And, and she walks in with two bags, you know, that were this big from Bloomingdale's. And I said, well, hello, Susan. Welcome to your lesson. And what came out of her mouth haunts me to this day. And these words were her words that came straight out of Susan's mouth. She said this to me, this petite, uh, just nice-looking lady, just, you know, just frail and just, but just looked at me and said this, I don't think I can do this, just like that. I mean, it just, it just screamed. I mean, the stock market dropped 500 points. I mean, it was crazy, okay? And... And, uh, and I was just trying to show her. I said, I said Susan, it's not going to be that bad. I'll show you how to hold the club. I don't think I can do this. And she just whined the whole time. But the miracle was, after about six lessons, I had her hitting the ball, bam, down the middle every single time. She started loving it. And I say that because many of us approach discipleship the same way. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to change. I don't have the patience to sing the song, My Soul Awaits, Mandy. I don't want to change. We approach discipleship the same way. See, do you, this, that sounds going to haunt you like it's haunted me the rest of your life. And then Bernie comes in. Bernie comes in. Bernie's played golf before. I said, Bernie, what do you want to work on? Oh, you see something, you can change it. You know, you know so I said, Bernie, hit a few balls. I said, let's just see what we got. And so, uh, so, Bernie, so Bernie warms up. I said, Bernie, you ready? He said, sure. I said, all right. So I was going to make an adjustment, you know, of how he holds the club. So Bernie's standing there with the golf club like this. Now, I was going to fix his hands and how he just make a fundamental adjustment just like that with the club. Now, to do that, I have to get a little low. I have to get where Bernie's hands are, right there. So when I get there to make an adjustment on his hands like that, I kid you not, friends, I get down there like this, and Bernie just cuts one. <laughs> Boom. I mean, just like that. This is sick. So I went like this. Oh, whoa. Bernie, you all right? He goes, I'm all right. What's the matter? Like nothing ever happened. Like nothing ever happened. I said, Bernie, if you're not all right, we can always reschedule. You all right? I'm all right. What's the problem? You know, yeah. I said, Bernie, if you're all right, I'm all right. You sure you're all right? I'm all right. We try to go at it again. I get, I said, 
I'm going to make an adjustment now. I get down there. Boom! Does it? It blows one by me again. I said, Bernie, I said, I cannot work in these conditions. He goes, what's the problem? I don't see what the problem is. I said, Bernie, we're going to have to cancel. Please leave the store right now. And Bernie, I'm telling you, he was just oblivious. I mean oblivious to everything. Now, Bernie would be considered an oblivious disciple. See, Bernie liked being Bernie because self-absorbed people are hard people to teach. See, here's the deal. They believe that their poop don't stink. And they could care less how their poop affects other people. They really could. See, I've never met a person who's enjoyed being affected by someone else's poop. How many, I mean, how, how many of you have ever walked into a public restroom to do number one, but somebody just did number two, but you go in anyway, and then when you walk out, someone thinks you did number two, but you only went in to do number one? Right? You know what I'm talking about. But most of you, women will do this, they won't go in. You'll hold it, and you'll be mad the whole day. That's, that's, that's the reason behind all these women's movements now, that people are so mad. That's why. I'm telling you, it's because of this right here. It's because of this. The point I'm trying to make is that sin will make your crap stink. And if you don't get a handle on it, it'll always affect others. The answer is not a poop emoji hat. The answer is discipleship. It's always discipleship. The answer is Jesus. You're never going to forget that, are you? Thanks, Dr. D. I appreciate that. <laughs> So here's the deal. The answer is always discipleship. You see, the world system of dealing with your sins and problem is always abstinence and sobriety. That's the world system for it. But whatever you resist is always going to persist. Always remember that. Whatever you resist, I mean, if you, look, I was at Starbucks today. If I put this in front of me, I just made a bunch of crumbs. We've got to clean this up, Myra. Okay. <laughs> If I put this in front of me like this and say, nah, <laughs> I'm not going to eat one today. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to eat it. No, nah, I'm not going to eat it. No, I'm not going to have it today. No, nah, no. Okay. That's what we do. That's what you do because whatever you resist is always going to persist. Man, that chocolate chip cookie was good. Oh, man. See, trying to do something, trying not to do something the rest of your life, I took a big bite. <laughs> will wear you out. You see, God's method for change is simply this. Switch the channel. Switch the channel of your mind. Switch the channel of your thoughts. Switch the channel of your actions. Switch the channel of your feelings. Switch the channel of how you process. Switch the channel of how you're going to change. Just flip to another station. Take that thought captive and move on. God's method and formula to change has always and will always be discipleship. It always is. Being, now, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a lot different than just going to church once or twice a week. 
Maybe you, you have a weekend home church, which I hope you do. Maybe you come to an encounter. Maybe you go to a church on Sunday. Discipleship is more than that. You see, to get excited about a preacher or even a great worship service, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong that it inspires you, but that's not necessarily spiritual growth. That's to help you spiritually grow. See, God saved you for a purpose. God saved you so you can become a disciple. It's not enough to simply say, I'm on my way to heaven. There's so much more to life than that. The issue is, are you becoming like the one who made it possible for you to go to heaven? That's the issue. That's discipleship. That's what Christ wants from you. I was at a pastor's appreciation breakfast this morning with one of the best communicators and teachers ever, Tony Evans. Here's what he says about discipleship. Here, his definition. It's discipleship is the developmental process that progressively brings Christians from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that they are then able to reproduce the process with someone else. That's the goal. The singular overarching goal of a disciple is to bring their entire life under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ and then help someone else do the same. Notice that this brings discipleship full circle. Disciples are to turn around and make other disciples. Ultimately, it's how you and I fill the mandate of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now watch that. Now that's salvation, right? That's salvation. But this is God's commands for me and you, not just, not just the disciples, but notice it goes beyond salvation. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you would a guarantee. If you do this, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of age. You want God to always be with you in a way that you know that he's blessing you? Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And use your gifts. You may not realize it, but how you bless others with your gifts, that's part of the discipleship process. Mandy gives singing lessons to students. She's making singing disciples, little disciples. She's, she's not only teaching them to sing, but in essence, she's discipling them. Because we should preach at all times, but sometimes use words. But when we use the gifts that God's called us to glorify him and help others to glorify him, that's part of discipleship. See, whether that be at home in your relationships, at work, at church, through mentoring or volunteering in a variety of ways, your life always ought to be about discipling others to become more like Jesus Christ. That's the whole deal. That's your highest calling and purpose. That's why my life's mission verse is Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me until I finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the wonderful grace of God. Now, you've heard me say this. Here's a different way of looking at it. You've heard me say that all life is is preparation for eternity. That's all life is, is preparation for eternity. And it is. Another way of looking at life is, is all life is is a lifelong 
job interview for your eternal position. That's what life is. See, you're on an interview. You're on an interview for a kingdom position that will last forever. And every day of your life is part of an interview process where you're going to get rewarded a job in heaven if you've accepted Christ as part of some, you know, here's a word that scares you, judgment, but this is part of what's called the second judgment where we're going to get blessed with a position to help others glorify God, depending on how well you do with your interview down here. See, what you do here does determine what you'll do in heaven. It does. Discipleship requires that your mindset, that your thinking, go way beyond, way beyond your salvation experience. Discipleship now has to be your pathway now that you are saved. Now, I also want to tell you that it is possible, and this is the problem in the church of Jesus Christ, especially in the United States, it is possible to be saved and never get discipled. I picked a, if I'm going to read a book, it's going to be about the deep things of God, and it's going to be about discipleship. And I just picked up this book about Kingdom Disciples by Tony Evans this morning. Here's what it says in the back. The question isn't how many people are in your pews, but rather how many are true disciples. That's what I care about here. I care about are you becoming a true disciple? You see, discipleship is a kingdom life embraced, not disgraced. That's what disciple, you don't have to be embarrassed to be a disciple. You don't have to be embarrassed to walk in a restaurant with a Bible. You don't have to be embarrassed to pray in public for your dinner. You don't have to be embarrassed to make Jesus your highest priority. It is a life of enjoying and embracing the entire life and will of God for you at every stage, at every level. Your job is to blow people's minds with the joy of the Lord that's on you. People say, well, Bill, how are you doing today? I say, well, if joy was a crime, I'd be doing time. Because Jesus Christ lives inside of me. And I'm, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. And I'm not going to take any day for granted. You see, you have to enjoy this. You have to relish it. You have to embrace it. And it's all part of your preparation for eternity. If you're saved and don't enjoy doing what Jesus tells you to do, why would you think you're going to enjoy it when you get to heaven? If you're saved but you don't enjoy worship, why in the world would you think you're going to enjoy worship in heaven? If you're saved but not into the whole obedience thing, how can you expect to be put in charge of telling others what God wants them to do as your eternal position? Peace, power, presence, purpose, and blessing are all riding on your level of commitment to being discipled. That's how important this stuff is. I have made it my lifelong mission to disciple anyone who wants to be a part of my life and ministry because I don't want people to get shocked when they get to heaven. I want people to say at the end of their lives, I have fought the good fight. I've run the good race. And instead, 
as opposed to making the cut of heaven by my get out of hell free card that Jesus gave me when I said a prayer in 2001, I want people to hear from Jesus, well done, good, and faithful. Notice the word good and faithful. Servant. You want to hear those words. Now you can't expect Jesus to say those words to you if you aren't good and faithful. Peter tells us to be holy because he's holy. Now we're not holy by the things that we do. We're made holy by who he's declared us to be and then we just walk in that identity. We can't, we can't live a, a, a... Listen, it is, it is impossible to live a sinless life, but it is possible to sin less. Does that make sense? Catch me on that? Sort of messing with you there. I want each and every one of you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the more we get discipled, the more you're going to become like Jesus in purpose and personality. The more we become kingdom-minded thinkers, like kingdom disciples. Not just any disciples. You know what a kingdom disciple does? A kingdom disciple understands kingdom principles. They live by kingdom principles. They're all about the Father's business. They're all about expanding the kingdom of heaven. They're all about lost souls. And they're all about taking the souls that are saved and preparing them for kingdom living, not only here, but in heaven. And the more we become kingdom-minded, kingdom-guided people that are all about the Father's business and his plans and priorities, the more prepared we're going to be about receiving and inheriting something so amazing that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the things that God has prepared for us. Heaven's going to be an amazing place. So let's dive into discipleship just a, a little further. See, in the previous lessons, you've, you've heard me talk about having the right mindset, the right attitude, right? So let me just, let me, let me, let me just explain this to you. You've got to have the right motive and mindset for discipleship. You can, the, discipleship can't be your goal because you want, you want God's blessing or you want to make God happy or you want God to love you more. You already have God's blessing. God couldn't love you any more than he loves you now. God is with you. He's for you, not against you. You're already blessed. You know, you know one of the prayers that people pray all the time that they don't have to pray? Oh, God be with, you know, God be with me. Oh, God's already with you. You don't have to pray that prayer. He's with you. When you're wondering where God is, you have to ask the question, who moved? It's not God. God's always with you. And so I want, I, I, I want, I want to make sure that you have the right mindset. We talk a lot about, Paul says, set your things on things above. Think about things that are lovely, beautiful. Think about things that are in heaven. Set your mind on things above. So here's the right motive. Here's the, mind, here's the mindset for discipleship. It's not to secure a blessing. It's not to, not to earn extra favor. You already have all that stuff. You're already blessed. The mindset is, There is no way I could have saved myself from my sins. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God, you loved me so much back then, you loved me now, and you not only loved me, but you saved me from my sins, you saved me from death, you saved me from hell, and not only am I forgiven, but now I have an eternal home in heaven, 
I have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. I got a new mind. I got a, I got a new heart with new and right desires. I have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. I got your word. I got fellowship. I have peace. I have power. I have purpose. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I once was blind, but, but now I see. I once was deaf, but now I hear. Uh, I, I mean, I once, was, I, I once was all the, I once was destined for hell, but now my destination is heaven. My name was written in a book never to be erased. And because of all you've done for me, because of the cross, because of you, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do anything you want me to do. I'm going to make your word the authority over my life. I'm not going to pick and choose anymore. Scriptures. I'm just going to open it up and I read it. That's me. And that's my life and that's what I'll do. And I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And gra- overwhelming gratitude and a desire to follow God in every area of your life should be your natural response to Jesus saving your life. If that's not the natural response to you accepting Jesus, you may have not had a salvation experience. You may have not repented from your sins and turned from your sins and realized how much you've been forgiven. It is possible to forget what happened to you at salvation if you don't let this become your mindset. Does this make sense? Stay with me. I'm going to close with a couple of scriptures. I mentioned it last week. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are the, the, this is the engine for discipleship. And it says this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. There it is in light of what he's done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't buy into what the world says you need to do to change, but be transformed, be discipled. That's, another, that's a code word for disciple. Be discipled by the renewing of your mind. In other words, I'm going to worship you, Lord, not just with my mouth. I'm going to worship you with my body. And I'm going to let this word wash over me. I'm going to let this word re-wallpaper my mind. Because I'm going to believe it, receive it, make it the authority over my life, and let it change my life. Now listen, here's what I can't do for you. I can't study this word for you. A disciple gets into this book themselves. They don't let a preacher just read this book to them. They get into this book and they let this book get into them. And they let this book become their lives. That's what you do. Here's the second discipleship scripture. I'm going to close with this scripture. And it's from 2 Peter. And it says this. It's making one's calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1, 3. And it says this. His divine power. I love that. Everybody say power. power. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What is life and godliness? That's discipleship. For life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
This is all discipleship. Let me tell you what I'm going to share with you right now. I'm going to share 15 things that God gives us to do with four consequences if we don't do them, but two great promises if we do do them. This is one of the best ultimate discipleship scriptures that I found in the New Testament. So here it is. It says this, His divine power, discipleship, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. What does the Bible say about promises? They're all yes and amen to those that are in Christ. Identity. There are thousands of promises that God is waiting for you to pray over your life that you can claim over your life through the power of prayer. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Discipleship. So that you can participate in the divine nature. So you have an old nature and a new nature. When you walk in the new nature, that's discipleship. When you walk into the old nature, that's yourself. That's when you run into problems. When Bill Reeser walks in his old nature, big problems. Bill Reeser walks in his new nature, big victory. Here it is. That you may participate in the divine nature. When you walk in the new nature, here's what happens. And escape the corruption in the world caused by its evil desires. All of you have those evil desires, including me. There's evil as all can get out, as they say in Kentucky. For this very reason, make every effort to disciple yourself. And here, the, here it is. Here comes the list. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Add to, take the faith that you have and add to it. First, you're going to add to your faith. What are you going to add to your faith? Goodness. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge. The Bible says my people die for a lack of knowledge. That's what the Father says. And the goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Self-control. Listen, that's the difference between abstinence and sobriety. You see, you don't have any control unless the Holy Spirit has control over your life. It's God giving you the will and the power to work out your salvation. That's discipleship when the Apostle Paul talks about work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, work out your salvation by allowing God to give you the will and the power. No such thing as willpower. There's God giving you the will and the power. That's how you overcome. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. That means you keep on keeping on. And the perseverance, godliness. And the godliness, brotherly kindness, Myra. And the brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, here, watch this, they will keep you from being, here it is, ineffective, is what happens if you don't do them. First consequence, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, watch this, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, if you don't get on this discipleship track and add these things to your life, you'll forget what happened to you at salvation. You'll forget what Jesus did for you. You'll take for granted your salvation. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. What is calling and election? Does anyone know? Discipleship. To make your calling and election sure. Now watch this. For if you do these things, watch this. I love this. This is, the, this is the relapse proof scripture in the Bible. For if you do these things, watch this. I love these four words. You will never fall. Is that possible? Yes. You will never fall. And on top of that, second promise, you will receive a rich, everybody say rich, Welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, tonight's talk either made you mad, sad, or glad. It did one of those three. And that lets you know where you are on this spectrum of discipleship. Whether you're mad, sad, or glad. If you're glad, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. God wants you on this discipleship pathway because God doesn't want to leave you in the condition you are today. One, he wants good representation. And two, he wants to bless your life. This is the abundant life that he died for. And I'll close with this. Jesus put it this way, just to be blunt, you can't serve two masters. You're either serving yourself or you're becoming a slave to Jesus because you want to. And that's discipleship. That's discipleship. So as we worship, I want you to think about where you are on the spectrum of discipleship. I'm going to make myself, as I always do each and every week, available to pray. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's worship.